When Kim was in grade two, she wrote a short story for Halloween, and she handed it in to her teacher. There once a ghost that lived a spook house, and the ghosts that are very ferocious and kill people, and can take a hammer and hit you in the head, and a skeleton take a saw and saw your head off, and give you a black eye, and pumpkins slam on your head and kill you. The pumpkins can scare you. They only come at Halloween night. They can make you bleed. Tigers kill you only on Halloween night. They can scratch you. They can hurt you. They can stab you. Thank you. That's Kim reading a short story from grade two that, perhaps unsurprisingly, resulted in the school counselor calling her parents. I'm Dan Meisner, and this, this is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. And this time we have a very special episode. Usually on the show, we bring you lots of different types of readings. Diary entries, poetry, short stories, letters from camp. Some of it is funny, some of it's awkward, some of it's bittersweet. Point being... In most episodes, we bring you lots of different types of childhood and teenage writing. But this time, we're focused on one thing, Halloween. We went back through the Grown Up Street Things They Wrote As Kids archive. We scoured years worth of recordings to bring together some of our favorite scary, spooky stories from all across Canada. This stuff is weird, it is wonderful, and this time around, it's all a little bit scary. But don't worry not too scary. Everything in the episode is pretty family-friendly. It's our very first ever Halloween spooktacular. So think about what scared you when you were a kid and stick around. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. When Trevor was in grade three, he wrote a Halloween story that involves trick-or-treating, a haunted house, and an encounter with a vampire. Live on stage in Toronto, here's Trevor. One day when I was walking home after I was finished trick-or-treating, I saw a spooky house that I missed. I decided to go and trick-or-treat at the spooky house. While I was skipping to the spooky house, I saw something go by the window. The window was all battered up and the stairs looked like they weren't stable enough for a person to walk on, but I kept on walking toward the spooky house because I'm super brave. (laughs) I was a little terrified, but I didn't pee myself. (laughs) I started to walk up the stairs when one of them just broke. I jumped off the stair quickly because I have really great legs. (laughs) Then I was just about to knock on the door when all of a sudden it opened all by itself. I know. (laughs) 
Stay with me. <laughs> right behind the door was a box filled with candy. I ran to it and started to just put it in my bag. And just then, the door shut and it locked from the outside. I was trapped. I peed a little. <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> Then I remembered about the candy. I started to pig out. When I was done, I took a nap. When I woke up, I was face to face with Dracula. I was so frightened that I was scared stiffer. Just then, a rock fell on my knee and my reflexes went off and I just kicked Dracula in the face. Twice. <laughs> then two ghosts came and put me in the dungeon, and they left, they left one ghost to stay behind and guard me. Just then, I remember about the flashlight in my pocket that my dad gave me. So I pulled it out of my pocket, and I shined it at the ghost, and I looked him right in the eye, and I said, I'm not afraid of no ghosts. They peed everywhere. <laughs> Weird pee fascination. <laughs> I took the keys that he was holding and I unlocked the door and I ran up all 100,000 stairs. I ran out the door and just then I remembered that I had 20 matches in my pocket. So I lit all of them and I threw them at the house. The whole house went up in flames, and I just laughed. <laughs> the next day, my mom asked why I smelled like smoke. I just smiled. Then I went to go eat my candy and swim in the pool. Later on, I'll pick up a new set of matches. It's interesting that Trevor's mom asked him why he smelled like smoke, but not why he smelled like urine. <laughs> Haunted house stories are usually meant to frighten people, to give them a thrill. But that's not the only reason people write about haunted houses. When Bridget was 13, she had a crush on a guy named Manny. But the thing is, she never worked up the courage to tell Manny how she felt. Instead, Bridget expressed her feelings by writing a short horror story starring herself and Manny. She called her story 10 to 12, as in 11.50 p.m., and it's all about two kids who have to break into a haunted house so they can join a gang of popular kids. Live on stage in Whitehorse, here's Bridget. 10 to 12. Manny and I were waiting by the broken-down gate for someone to go first. We were both scared out of our wits and trembling in our boots. I glanced at Manny. Are you scared, Manny, I asked. Yes, are you? He answered, looking deeply into my green eyes. <laughs> you bet, but we have to do this if we want to become jet sets. Being a jet set, 
meant being in the most popular group in town. We would be able to go to parties, dances, bars, and have anything we ever wanted, only on one condition. We had to pass the test, which was to bring back Abigail Stepson's blood by 12 midnight. <laughs> the only way we were allowed to do it is to go to the Stepson mansion after sunset. We had to go into the room where Mr. Stepson had killed his wife in a jealous rage. He had found her in bed with another man, had shot the man, beaten Abigail, and had axed her to death. Then he had bathed in her blood and had shot himself holding Abigail's head. No one had dared to go in after hearing legends that Abigail's soul lived on seeking revenge. Manny and I heard these stories, and it made us twice as scared. Not scared enough. We moved slowly and carefully towards the house. We had packed everything we thought we'd need. I took out my flashlight because it was getting dark. I looked at my watch. It was 10 o'clock, two hours left to get her blood. Ladies first, I heard Manny whisper. You wish, I replied, trying to keep cool. We're going together or not at all. Now move it. I opened the noisy door and we walked in. The room in front of us was furnished with antiques, which hadn't been taken care of for a long time. It was covered with dust and spider webs. We proceeded to the staircase. The walls were full of old pictures, which seemed to stare down at us. We got upstairs and saw a long, endless hallway. On each side were the doors of every room. Manny, which one is it? I inquired. I don't know. All I know is it's full of blood, he replied. <laughs> Try the first one, I said. No, you, ha you can have the honor, he answered. Manny, I opened the door downstairs, so you try the first door I ordered. He obeyed and opened the door. It was dark in the room. Manny waved his flashlight around. The room was empty. We moved to the next. I heard a loud moan and clutched Manny's arm. Did you hear that, I cried? Yes, let's get the blood and get out of here. He opened the next door. What we found scared us to death. A dead man's body lay on the ground, a knife sticking out of his back, and his chest opened up. I screamed in horror and slammed the door shut. Manny opened the third door. The room, was <laughs> the room was furnished with a dresser, a mirror, a bench, a chest, a closet, and a canopy bed. This is it, he cried. Look at that, I cried back, pointing towards the canopy bed covered with blood. We moved to it bravely, not suspecting what was waiting for us. Just as we got to the edge of the bed, a half-decomposed man jumped out and grabbed me. <laughs> I screamed and fought, but it was of no use. Manny reached into his pack and took out a knife. He threw it and got him in the head. He let me go and dropped to the ground. I cried in relief. We moved carefully to the bathroom where Mr. Stepson had bathed in Abigail's blood. I looked back fearfully at the rigid body on the ground thinking it must have been Abigail's lover. We reached the bathroom and Manny pushed open the squeaky door. We both stared in shocked horror. There in the tub filled with blood was Abigail's body without the head. I almost threw up. <laughs> Pass me the tube, Bridge, Manny asked, being, getting brave. Here, thanks. Be careful, Manny. I will. Don't worry, Bridge. Manny? What? I know it's a bad time to tell you this, but we might not get out of here alive, so I love you. <laughs> too. <laughs> I glanced at my watch. We were running out of time. It was 11.30. We had to hurry up and meet the jet sets at 12. Manny reached out and dipped the, the tube in the pool of blood. He filled it up and put a cap on it. Let's go, Manny yelled. We ran through the long hallway. 
Just as we were about to start down, down the stairs, Manny tripped over something. He picked it up. It's her head, I screamed in terror. Manny yelled and sent it flying down to the other end of the hallway. Run, run, he cried. We ran down the staircase. I was in front of Manny. I heard him yell. I never bothered looking back because I was so frightened. I threw open the door and ran to the street where the jet sets were waiting. It was 11.50, 10 minutes left. We made it, we made it, I yelled, jumping up and down. I turned to hug Manny and almost fainted, seeing him covered with blood and the knife he had used to kill Abigail's boyfriend sticking out of his chest. <laughs> he handed me the tube of blood. What happened, I asked. He looked deeply into my eyes and fell to the ground unconscious. <laughs> Call an ambulance, I screamed. A month later, we were both back in school. <laughs> We'd become the hottest couple in town. <laughs> Everything was great, except I never found out what happened that night on the stairs. Memories haunted me for the rest of my life, but what annoyed me the most was never knowing if Abigail had done it or not. The end. <laughs> One more time for Bridget, ladies and gentlemen. In 1993, there was a movie called The Nightmare Before Christmas by Tim Burton. Now, if you're not familiar, it's sort of a holiday crossover film that combines Halloween and Christmas. And it turns out Tim Burton wasn't the only one thinking along those lines. When Adam was in grade four, he wrote his very own Halloween Christmas holiday mashup entitled The Pumpkin's Xmas. Here's Adam. <clears throat> The Pumpkin's Xmas. There was a pumpkin named Marvin who lived with his family in an abandoned barn. What's making these children so happy? They all wondered as the whole family was looking out their giant window in the bedroom. The pumpkin family overheard the children singing, It's Christmas. The pumpkins looked at each other in a puzzled way. Christmas. What's that? They asked each other. Then Marvin replied, I don't know, but I'm going to find out. Then Marvin left. <laughs> As Marvin started his quest, he thought, who would know about Christmas? I know. The kids would know about Christmas. <laughs> then he left for the children's houses, but of course they weren't at home. Going back to his backyard, he found one child and asked him, What's Christmas? The child answered, that's easy. It's presents. <laughs> Marvin thought that was a silly answer. Marvin saw a tree. He asked the tree the same question. <laughs> and the tree said, oh, it's decorations. Marvin didn't think that was right either. His family was waiting three hours, and there was no sign of Marvin. So his family left to find him. Marvin's family finally found him, frozen to death under a tree. As his family stared at Marvin's frozen face, they realized the true meaning of Christmas 
and returned home. Later, Marvin's parents sat down to eat a big Christmas pie. Why does this happen every year, asked Mother Pumpkin. Marvin's dad raised his glass and said, the true meaning of Christmas is family and good food. He then ate his piece of pie. Then Mother Pumpkin cried. Suddenly, Santa Claus came down the chimney and said, ho, 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 I've got a surprise for you. Santa pointed to Mother Pumpkin's belly. I'm pregnant? Asked Mother Pumpkin. God bless us, everyone! Said Santa. Father turned to Mother Pumpkin and said, Pass me another slice of our son, will you? The end. Yeah. So many Christmas. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. When Sabrina was in grade nine, she got deep into teenage horror fiction. Authors like R.L. Stein, Christopher Pike, Lois Duncan. And then I also got into all of the B.C. Andrews books, Flowers in the Attic, and everything else. What appealed to me at the time when reading all of those books is that as a teenager, you're kind of expected to be happy-go-lucky, and these are the best years of your life, and of course you wouldn't have a care in the world. But being a teenager can be really tough. And so these books gave you a permission to be dark and a permission to sort of explore that side of life. So Sabrina decided to write her own teenage horror story in the style of her literary heroes. She wrote a very dark tale all about an evil teacher who was murdering her students. Live on stage in Regina, here's Sabrina. No, I don't think I'll go to school today. I've, I'll fake being sick. Anything to get away from that hideous English teacher, Mrs. Morton. Miranda, dear, are you getting ready for school yet? It's 8.30 already. You don't want to be late on the first day of grade six, do you? Mother called. I'm not going to school today. I'm sick, I called back. Mother walked into the room and pulled the covers off my head. Miranda, I can tell you are not sick, so get out of bed already. But mom, Mrs. Morton, look... I don't want to hear anything more about Mrs. Morton. She is the sweetest lady I've ever met, and she really likes you. Why do you hate her so much? Mom, she's evil. Do you think that all the deaths of kids in this town are accidents? She kills them, Mom, I yelled. 
Now, Miranda, just because you don't like a certain teacher doesn't mean you have to turn her into some sort of murderer, she reasoned. Robert acted the same way as you are when he had her in grade six, too. But mom, don't you see? Robert died that year. She killed him, I tried to tell her. We always ended up fighting about Robert's death. Mother was convinced that it had been an accident, but I knew the truth. Last year's field trip was supposed to be fun. Everyone was looking forward to swimming, fishing, and telling ghost stories by the campfire. The only problem was that Mrs. Morton was going. We overlooked that fact, though, in anticipation of the great time we were to have. That is where we made our first mistake. (laughs) My brother was off by himself fishing. When I saw Mrs. Morton going toward him, I began to get suspicious. I ran for the secluded spot when I heard my brother scream. Mrs. Morton was holding his head underwater. As soon as she saw me, she pulled him out and acted like she was saving him. Everyone ran for the spot when they heard the screams. Robert's dead, oh my God, he's dead. She killed him, I screamed as I began to cry. Poor child, she's delirious. Give her some room, Mrs. Morton said. Someone should get her some water. Well, maybe not. That is, after all, what killed her brother. (laughs) You killed him, you did, I screamed as they dragged me off. The last I saw of my brother was the white sheet being pulled over his face by none other than Mrs. Morton herself. (laughs) I feel like crying again when I think about it now. Mom, I saw her hold him under the water, I protested. Miranda, all you saw was her trying to save him. I don't want you to say anything more about it, she said. Fine, but that doesn't mean it's not the truth, I muttered and walked away. I was almost out the back door when I turned back and went into Robert's room. It was still the same as it had been before he died. I reached into the bottom drawer of his dresser and pulled out his survival knife. The cold steel felt good in my hand. Don't worry, Robert. Mrs. Morton won't be a problem after today. I missed my bus, so I had to walk to school. I was half an hour late. She called me up to her desk after school. Why were you late, she asked me. Oh, quit the act already. I know you killed him. I saw you kill him, so don't deny it. I didn't kill your brother, but if I did, what could you do about it, she said in an evil voice. I guess I would just have to kill you now, wouldn't I? I said in a tone that matched hers almost exactly as I pulled out Robert's knife. I loved the way it shimmered under the fluorescent lights. As I held it above her head, preparing to plunge it into her skull. She wrestled the knife away from me just before it struck. Now the knife that I had intended to kill her with was about to be used on me. It was suspended in mid-air, about to plunge into my heart. I really don't want to do this. You're a very nice girl, but you just know too much, she said, as she shoved the knife into my heart and twisted it. Blood poured everywhere. This would be the second time Mrs. Morton had twisted a knife in my heart. As I was lying in a puddle of my own blood... Breathing my last breaths, my mother walked into the classroom. I thought I told you not to kill her too. Our deal was that you just kill him, mother said. She knew too much, Mrs. Morton protested. 
You murderer. Miranda, are you still alive? She screamed hysterically as she shook me. Mom, I'm okay for now, I said weakly. I knew I wouldn't live for long. You'll pay for this, Morton. You'll pay. I'll take you to court. You'll be put away for the rest of your life, Mother screamed. And will you testify that you hired me to kill your son? I don't think I need to worry about you going to the police anyway. For the same reason, all the other people who hired me never went, she said as she raised the knife over her head for one last time. That was fiction, right? I want to reassure everyone that, yes, I am a fully functioning adult. Um, I'm not as dark as I used to be. Now I read Canadian fiction for the most part. Do we have fans in the room of the choose-your-own-adventure genre? There's a lot of people. Do we have fans in the room of the author R.L. Stein? So, R.L. Stein wrote a choose-your-own-adventure style series called Give Yourself Goosebumps, and our next reader, Cody, was deeply inspired by the Give Yourself Goosebumps series, so he wrote his very own choose-your-own-adventure style book with seven possible endings, and I think he's going to walk you through one of them, and you may have the opportunity to decide where the adventure goes. Please welcome Cody to our stage. Haunted house. Uh Uh-oh, the museum we're in is scary. The people giving us tours run out. The doors are locked, we can't get out. We have a dilemma. We're locked in an old haunted house. That's now a museum. Since we're locked in, we might as well explore and try to find a way out. So where will it be? You can be me. So you're locked in a haunted house and have three rooms to choose from. You are scared. You are me. (laughs) So now you must choose. At the bottom of the page, you pick. Some endings are good, some aren't. So I'm going to read the options all together, and then you guys can vote. Go to the small bedroom, page two. Go, go to the dark room you can't see in, page three. And go to the mysterious old-fashioned elevator, page four. All, all in favor of small bedroom, say aye. All in favor of dark room you can't see in, say aye. Mysterious old-fashioned elevator. Mysterious old-fashioned elevator. You step into the elevator, it's creaky. Kind of scary, you see a button. You press it. An alarm shrieks, your elevator flies up and breaks the roof. And goes higher, 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 and you get out. You see stars everywhere. The ground is purple. You see an alien. You're in space, the alien says. Achak Ayamaya Ak Ak Kalamana. What? You ask? 
The alien pressed a button. I pressed my translator. I was saying, welcome to the planet X. I am nice, but other people here are mean. You must come with me, said the alien. You either say no way and run away, or okay and follow the alien. All in favor of no way? All in favor of okay. Okay, follow the alien. Page 22. <laughs> you follow the alien. The alien blasts you off in a spaceship back to Earth. There's a mini golf place. <laughs> It doesn't look too safe. You could just keep walking. Mini golf or keep walking? All in favor of mini golf? Keep walking. Okay, mini golf it is, page 16. It's mini golf. You go in and there are more ghosts. The, the gate looks. There's a hole in the ground that leads to a tunnel. You leap for it. A ghost gets in your way. Find out what he does on page 25. Guess what he does? Ha! He opens his mouth and swallows you. You'll spend the next while in a ghost's body, and then you'll hit the toilet. Yuck. The end. Thank you. Now, if you're curious about some of the paths the audience didn't choose, I have very good news for you. Cody scanned his haunted house story and he made an online version. There is a link in the episode notes on your device right now, or you can find a link at our website, grownups.fm. Happy adventuring. When Dakota was seven, she was really into scary stories, so she decided to write one of her own. And at our show in St. Albert, she shared a story called The Night. One night, I was trying to go to sleep, but I heard a thump from the kitchen. Finally, I went to sleep. <laughs> Then, in the middle of the night, I woke up and I heard thumping from the kitchen. So I went downstairs to the kitchen. <laughs> Luckily, it was just the clock. <laughs> Then I heard something from downstairs. So I opened the door to downstairs and turned the switch, but it didn't work. Then I thought I remembered putting a flashlight at the bottom of the stairs. So I started walking down the stairs. Then all of a sudden, the stairs broke and I fell all the way to the bottom of the stairs. Then something grabbed my foot. Then I tried to let out a scream, but the thing covered my face. Then I got my face free. <laughs> Then I reached down to get my foot free. Then I noticed my hand was wet. Then I saw that there was blood all over my hand. Then the door opened and the lights turned on. Then I saw my mom and she said, what happened? <laughs> Then I said, I would tell you, but you wouldn't believe me. 
Then she said, go back to bed. So I started walking up the stairs. Then I heard a moan. Then I started to run up the stairs. Then I went into my room and slammed the door shut. The end. When I was in elementary school, our teacher would give us vocabulary assignments where we'd be given a list of words, and in order to demonstrate that we knew what the words meant, we'd have to use them in a sentence. When Juan was in grade five, his teacher gave the class a similar assignment, and all the vocabulary words were Halloween-themed. So Juan wrote a story about two boys named Ricky and Juan, who go on an adventure to take down an evil ghost. And if you listen carefully, you may be able to pick up on the vocabulary words Juan was required to use in his story. Once upon a time, in the old 17th century, there was a creepy, (laughs) scary island. On the island, there was a cave called the Ghostly Cave. No one knew about the mysterious island because black, dark fog covered the whole entire island. No one could know about this mysterious island. (laughs) It was fall, so if someone found this island, he or she wouldn't see the dead bodies on the grass. (laughs) The colorful leaves were on the bodies. The macabre bodies. were cursed, so they were very scary and evil. After the 17th century, there, there was a town called Barry. <laughs> In Barry, there were these two kids named Juan and his friend Ricky. They were best friends and detectives. <laughs> Ricky said, When are we going to go to the library and get the cool detective manual? Asked Ricky. (laughs) Ricky is Juan's best friend, and he has black eyes and black black hair. Juan has black eyes, too, and brown hair. Then they went to the library to get the detective manual. (laughs) When we got home, the TV went on, and this was Mr. Gill. Children, there is a kind of monster, or a G-H-O-S-T, told Mr. Gill. That means ghost. Uh, meanwhile, the ghost who Mr. Gill was talking about was named Monstrous, and he was getting his plans getting ready to take over Barry. <laughs> meanwhile, Juan and Ricky were on their motorboat as fast as they could. Ricky put on this extra battery, and then they went almost to the speed of light. <laughs> Suddenly, there was lots of thick, dark fog, and they saw an island. The, island, the sign said, do not enter or else. When they got to the island, they saw a cave. The sign read, Ghostly Cave, with a macabre skull. (laughs) (laughs) Then they went in, and they didn't notice the cursed skeletons coming into the cave. Juan and Ricky saw a quagmire and a vine. (laughs) They climbed the vine, and they swung to the other side and followed the path. 
they didn't take them that long to get to the monster's lair. Uh, they were ready to, take, to stop Monstrous from taking over Barry. First one went to go and kill him, but Monstrous, is, uh, Monstrous was too fast. Ricky went to punch him, but Monstrous was invincible. <laughs> Ricky got hurt and fell down, but then he remembered that he had an extra battery. Then he put the ba- uh, threw the battery to the ghost, and his invincible powers were gone. Then, he, as fast as Ricky could, he got the extra battery again and threw it at the monster. Then he self-destructed. <laughs> then Monstrous told Juan and Ricky, we will meet again, loser. <laughs> then um, Juan and Ricky jumped out of the window and went on their motorboat motor and went home. On Halloween, Juan and Ricky were happy that they beat Monstrous and the skeletons, so they went trick-or-treating and their, in their costumes. Then they were having so much fun that they didn't notice a floating shadow in the air. It looked like a ghost, and it was monstrous in the air. Thank you. So far in this episode, we've heard quite a lot about haunted houses. But the thing is, a house isn't the only type of building that can be haunted. For instance, at our show in Windsor, Rachel shared a story she wrote in grade two all about a different type of haunted structure. Once upon a time, there was a football stadium. (laughs) It was called (laughs) Haunted Stadium. Then one day, as some cheerleaders walked by, they heard a noise. It sounded like someone in pain, said Kim. (laughs) Yeah, said Polly. (laughs) Let's go see what's up. (laughs) As the girls crept in, they felt a cool breeze, and slam, the door shut behind them. The girls screamed. Ah! (laughs) Then a ghostly light appeared, and out of the fog, the girls saw the form of a cheerleader's body floating above them. The girls screamed. The ghost screamed. (laughs) After ten minutes, They all stopped screaming (laughs) and began laughing hysterically. This was the start of a very good friendship. Thank you. If anyone invites you to a football game at Haunted Stadium... Sounds like you should probably go.
At our show in Peterborough, Stephen shared a couple of short stories he wrote in grade three. And though they're not explicitly about Halloween, they are most certainly spooky. First, we'll hear a story about a stuntman called The Hanging Man, and then a follow-up story entitled The Ghostly Warrior. These promise to be dark. Please welcome Stephen to our stage. The Hanging Man. One day, a man named Wildman Corby went to a fortune teller. The witch pulled up the hanging man card. Corby laughed. You old hag, I'm making $150,005 for my next stunt. <laughs> sure enough, the morning paper said, Wild Man Corby to leap Golden Bridge for $150,000. He jumped. Millions watched. He came up out of the water below. I did it. Well, Corby did more stunts one after the other. He was alive. A reporter asked if he'd quit. A million is chicken feed. Next, I'm going to get five million from my next stunt. I'm going to be a human cannonball over Devil's Canyon. Corby whispered to himself, I can only die by hanging. (laughs) Wild man Corby was in the cannon. Add the fire. Boom! He was over the spot. He opened the chute and he went down. In the morning, on the obituary page, (laughs) the clipping said, Corby hanged when his chute tangled in a tree. (laughs) Want your fortune told? So after my poor teacher pulled me aside and asked me, could you please next time write something more normal? (laughs) I said, okay. And I wrote The Ghostly Warrior. One day in European times, (laughs) an American tried the horn. He blew the horn, and instead of a snake coming out, a bomb blew up the man. A skeleton was in the basket and was shot and fell apart. He was put back together again and he was put in a Nova Scotia museum. And when people came to see him, he murdered them. One day, a sword fell out of the Roman's hand and broke the glass case of the skeleton and he got loose. He went into the streets One thing was, he looked both ways and crossed the street. He went and ran toward the wax museum and tore off the instructor's head. He went to the wax chamber and he saw a wax dummy of him that was alive. And in brackets, and the skeleton who belonged to the Nova Scotia Museum's name is Barney. And the other skeleton is Frank. (laughs) Barney saw a club in the hand of a Viking. He took it out of his hand. He hit Frank in the head, but he didn't come apart. His head came off, but he just put it back on. (laughs) Frank said, 
you cannot destroy me because I am made of wax. That gave Barney an idea. He got a torch <laughs> and melted him. I thought you said I couldn't kill you, <laughs> said Barney. I got an idea. So he went to the police department and he asked if he could be a hero. <laughs> Why, yes, said the officer. So he bought himself a yellow coat, sunglasses, belt, and a medium-sized sword. <laughs> Next, he went to the Hero Name Bureau, and he got a name of Skeleton Rex. He got a hat, a gun. Next thing he got was a star. And then he went to rent a house. <laughs> and he made plans to get a job as an architect. <laughs> he built himself a house, but he was still a hero, and he was so rich, he became a millionaire. And in brackets, he got married too. <laughs> One day, he was robbed, so he put his hero costume on and went after the robbers. He said, I will get out my sword. So the robbers got in their car. Skeleton pulled off two wheels of the car. The police arrived just then. Okay, you can go home and rest now, Skeleton. Thanks, Chief. <laughs> the end. Thank you very much. After the show, Stephen told me he had been in touch with his grade three teacher, Mrs. Darling, who was on the receiving end of those short stories. He said she was very glad to hear that as Stephen grew older, he lost interest in gruesome horror stories. That is our Halloween spooktacular edition of Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. Our show was recorded live in cities across Canada and produced by Jenna Meisner. Olivia Nashmi is our associate producer. Our music is by Poddington Bear and Lullatone. Our closing theme is Oh Dear Diary by Sloan. If you enjoyed this episode of Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids, tell somebody about it. I'm Dan Meisner. Thanks for listening. I'm not afraid of no ghosts. <laughs> <laughs>